Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. Hey. Oh, I am Hi, Emma. Um, she's wonderful and now. is taking the shift for me that I was supposed to have right now. Ooh. So well, is responsible for me being here. A true enabler of the Sickest Addiction yeah. podcasting. Thank you so much, Emma. Um, did anybody else see the promotional materials for the rest of, uh, excuse me, for uh, Studio Ghibli's new movie, um, The How Do You Live? Because there's just that one poster that got released. Just the one photo. And, just the big, literally, the, literally the bird-looking guy, They've right? just been, like, pasting that on different promotional materials, like promotional fans and, like, promotional elevator doors and shit. It's literally just that one image. I thought they were just going to go, there's no ma- marketing material. It's just a poster. But they're like, no, it's just an image that we're putting everywhere. Mm-hmm. It seems, I don't know. It, it's not, not that unusual. Not yeah, knowing what this image is, do they have it on body pillows? Um, Googling. You I feel like you would know that, made. Jason. You look like a guy who uh, has a know. body pillow. I, I do have a body pillow, and Seth bought me a very erotic cover for it. Um, I mean, it's not in use, but it's it's in my house. Uh, it is, uh, let's see, how do you live body pillow? I'm seeing results that are, how do you live with yourself if you sleep with a body pillow? Not quite the issue I was looking for. Also, judgy. It's a good question. Yeah, it is a good, good question. question. Wait, though. they're called Dakimakos, I mean, right? Sometimes uh, not... you need to ask these kind of questions. You know? It's not showing up for me, Finn. I'm so sorry to report we'll that. We just I, have to wait know. for the theatrical release, then I'm sure you'll be able to get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Redbubble's going to explode with that shit. Um, yeah. Whatever fantastical creatures are in that movie, you're, you're definitely going to be able to hug and uh, groom all night. Um, Isn't it... What is is that movie? Like no one knows anything about that film at all. Well, right? they I, released like nothing. It's, oh my! Sam, so, it's not based on the book, though. They he got the rights to the book. He said, "I'm making it based on the book. It's going to have a fantastical take." And then two weeks before they released that poster, he's like, "Actually, it has nothing to do with the book at all. It is not related. It's entirely fantastical." <laughs> and we're not going to show you what it looks like either. Okay. Just this bird guy on the front. It it, it could be the greatest success of anybody's career, baller, or it could be though. the worst. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a fine Title book. Seems like Even if it had been an adaptation. This, yeah. is, this is Jason's anime corner for a moment. Thank you, uh, Harry, oh, for, for being my second. Um, it, it, second as in, like, seppuku, like, you will be killing me at the end. I will ritually sacrifice myself. Oh, don't worry, then, I understood exactly what you meant. I just wanna, in fact, I was planning audience. on killing you even if you didn't <laughs> specify. Uh, it's not about the book. Uh, but you know what is about the book? And also the movie, it's Trilove, a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw, people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org. Get tickets and other cool information about the Trilon there. My name is Jason Daphnis. I already pulled one boner out there in the ice, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Jason took mine, but I'm Harry Mackin, and you can tie my hands if you want to. Uh, can find you on Twitter. Oh yeah, kind of. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, sort of. I'm on. I'm on Twitter at uh, Punish Take. Yeah, there you go. You got a different one. Um. Uh. My, my name is Aaron. I don't. I'm gonna be honest. I, I don't have a. 
I couldn't think of a funny joke or a quote from this film or anything. The boner one just I, I wrote right down, and this film shows why I don't eat salad. It's not good. Complete mm. whiff. Oof. No good. Not funny. <laughs> you could have left that one on the cutting room floor, bud. I, look, I just I put thought into it, and I, I, I got nothing. But you can find me on Twitter at uh, RV, please. We're uh, pleased to be joined by a returning guest. Uh, would you mind introducing yourself? Uh, hi, I'm Finn Odom. I don't have a joke or a bit. I have a legitimate PSA. If you are at the trial on and you see two mm-hmm. seats at the end of a row, go okay. around. Do not walk through the row filled with people. I can guarantee you it will be the same amount of time, if not shorter, <laughs> if you just go fucking around and sit down. Oh, I see. Um, I, if there's two, if there's two on the at far the very end, end yeah. you, especially I, you if know, you like I, enter through the walkway, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's that is so a bad easier. move. But I respect the the desire for chaos that would cause someone to do that. You Normally know I, mean? like I do, I, but like, I don't like having my feet stepped on. So. It, it's enticing in a weird way. Like, I don't think I, I don't, I am not the sort of uh, history changing person that would be capable of doing something psychotic. Like Aaron, that and agent not of chaos, sort of, Grossman. Yeah. Yes. You, you feel the pull of the void when you see a it, full any person able to do that and not fear, feel like immense, like shame and guilt is like an Uber mensch. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. they, they it's just like uh, a couple of times in the trial on like, after the movie has started, which like the trial on very generously always starts the movie about six minutes late to help people get in. But like every other time somebody will come in and they'll just straight up have their cell phone camera, like like the light on their cell phone completely on while they try to find seats in a packed theater. Well, literally the, the movie world. is starting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just like, how do you get to be they there? Are how unaware. do you live? Yes. How do you live? Literally. That's, a, yeah, there we <laughs> That's go. what the movie's going to be about is those people. <laughs> I have like, I will say those people have a wonderful place in existence and it's to let people like me who are a little bit too meek to like really be angry at people like that vocally, be angry at people like that vocally because there was, I forget if it was Hausu or Mad God or something. There was like a, two two gals who were standing up trying to find their seat 15 minutes after the movie started mm-hmm. and they were just pointing their flashlight. It's important to the story back, that, that back, we know that they're women. Yeah, of course. Let's hear it for them. Interesting. Right. Um, I don't, but we're not hearing. But we're not no, hearing. Yeah. We're uh, yeah. what we are going to hear is um, uh, Finn. I want you to rank the guest, get, excuse me, hosts that you're on the podcast with right now. Um, oh. Obviously, we know the best one, and he's not able to join us today. But I want to get the definitive rank. Can we re-rank at the end of the episode to see? Yeah, if we, it goes we, up we or need down. to set our our uh, okay. like high water control right now, though. Yeah, yes. control. Thank you. Yes. Uh, one, everyone who's listening can find me on places at Finematic because that's important. And two. This ruins a bit I had for later in the episode. We can so, just skip it. We can so skip Jason's it. So Jason's the worst. This, like, <laughs> yep. That put him down. I mean, I'm not saying he's the worst. Harry and I yeah. can fight for, for number one. It's just Who like do with you think uh, number one is, Jason? <laughs> Obviously, Cody. He's number one oh. even for me. Uh, well, we'll, I don't know, man. We'll wow. return to that bit. So as... you're saying that, that Aaron and Harry are going to battle it fight, out for the fight, first fight, place while fight. Jason takes a distant second? What is this, Cody's I'm, I'm notice? More, I'm more of a... a <laughs> I'm more of a shepherd than a, than a host, more of a, more of a leader. Um, you know, I, I, so I, I count myself outside of that. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us, Finn. Um, we have a film. It's it played, I, I guess, at, not as part of a series, right, uh, at the trial on. Um, so you won't be able to follow up this with any other classic watchings, but check out the trial on's website for other cool series throughout classic watchings. Yeah, and, and there's not like a really clear movie you could go to next after you watch this one. There's Listen, not like a sort of spiritual recommendations or two. That, that there might we, even be two. We, ab- ugh, we abandoned the uh, recommendations bit after like three episodes because we stopped doing it, but we can re- resurrect it if you like. Um, but for right now, uh, we have to get a quick g- summary uh, from Aaron Grossman himself. Yes, that's right. It's the patented Aaron Grossman summary and it commences right about now.
Yes, we are talking about The Thing from Another World, 1951 film directed by Christian Nyby. Uh, it is based on the John W. Campbell uh, 1938 novella, Who Goes There? Uh, the film uh, starts out by following uh, a journalist named Ned Scott as he travels to the North Pole to meet with uh, American scientists as they investigate the crash of some sort of an unidentified aircraft a, a few miles, like 45 miles away. Uh, from their research base. Um, after traveling to the crash site, uh, the group discovers a, a flying saucer, actually, uh, with a frozen alien inside. Um, the alien, which turns out to be uh, essentially an advanced form of a kind of carnivorous plant, um, escapes, and the research team um, has to fight to survive. Uh, the film stars a whole bunch of people as members of the research team. Margaret Sheridan, Kenneth Toby, Robert Cornthwaite, Cornthwaite, uh, Douglas Spencer, James Young, uh, and others. Um, another adaptation, of course, as as kind of uh, slightly referenced a minute ago, of the original novella would come out, uh, directed by John Carpenter, 1982, as The Thing. Um, should also mention, uh, uh, hopefully a little briefly here, it'd be a little silly not to, to mention that the film had a lot of influence uh, from Howard Hawks. Um, the film was made for Hawks' uh, production company, Winchester Pictures Corporation, um, and many people over the years have argued that Hawks, uh, at the very least, had a very, very large influence on the look, the feel, the writing, etc. cetera, uh, of the film. A uh, few people have gone on to state that Hawks should be considered the actual director of the film. Um, Nyby himself said that he was the director of the film, but it was kind of consciously made in Hawks style. Uh, Nyby studied under Hawks. He worked with them. He had previously edited um, several of his films. Um, so he said specifically, if you're taking painting lessons from Rembrandt, you don't take the brush out of the master's hands. So hard. That goes hard. We'll see. I'm, I'm sure it does go hard. Uh, I'm sure also, we'll, we'll touch on that. Imagine like, later, imagine to use the painting metaphor. Imagine if like you studied under a great painter and you produced a pretty good painting and then everybody was like, yeah, but it looks like his. So we're just going to call it his painting forever. Yeah. It's like, yes, wait, but, what? Yes. <laughs> but, but also imagine if I studied under Rembrandt. And Rembrandt made a painting, and then I'm like, "No, oh, I made this painting. I will sell it to you for fifty million dollars. So buy my painting that is mine, but it also similar to Rembrandt, fifty million dollars. Thank you." This is actually a subplot in Persona Rembrandt. Five. Yeah, you should watch. You should play Persona Five. Yeah. I should play Persona Five someday. Um, I want to say first off the top for Parasphere.org, the Trilon blog. Lucas Hardwick wrote a piece, um, sort of detailing some of the Red Scare undertones of this movie. Check it out. It's called In Soviet Russia. Russia, carrot eats you. I've got a link in the show notes, but it's a really good name for a blog. It really nailed it. And and it's a good piece. It's uh, very explanatory. It's very conversational. It's, it's a good piece. So check it out. Trial, excuse me, parasphere.org, the trial on blog. But I do want to toss first to Finn. Um, You got in touch with us about talking about this movie. I've never seen it before. What is your mileage? What did you get out of it this time? What drew you to it? X, Y, Z. Oh, also, I feel like we didn't. Did we mention this? We maybe didn't. Sorry to talk over you, but <laughs> Finn's also literally now the lead editor of Perisphere. Woo-hoo! So, uh, congrats Ooh. to them as well Russia. for oh, editing this one, presumably. Oh, I always forget how loud that so is. My loud. I just want it to be a taste. Sorry, Jason, you're going to kill me. <laughs> I interrupted Finn. Jason's uh, soundboard interrupted me. Winning the best host. Yeah, he's coming away with it. Um. Yeah, no, thanks, Harry, for the shout out. I was actually going to get to that. Um, because the reason I wanted to talk about this movie it was my first Perisphere piece back in 2019 was on It, the Terror from Beyond Space, which is notorious for being the movie that, air quotes, inspired Alien. Um, much like this movie, like, 
you can say that. Um, I think this is a bit closer to the thing um, than it was to Alien. Um, but it was a movie I cared about a lot because of the things that Lucas highlights in his piece. Again, check it out. It's really good. Um, really funny. Enjoyed reading that. Um, so yeah, it's like a classically 50s sci-fi movie about how bad communism is. And I kind of just love all of the weird little elements to how unserious it is, how gay the characters are, because the, we'll get to the scientist and his weird like pro-innovation at the risk of killing humanity thing. But it was it felt to me as a queer person very queer coded. Um, but yeah, no, I love love shitty f- movies from the fifties. I think this is like quintessential shitty movies from the fifties with no stakes, but like an assumed at the end moralistic call to action against communism. I have so many thoughts. One of you can start, and then I'll inevitably talk over you. Well, I know one man who's uh, just always down for weird little elements in a movie. I, I know that's Harry Mackin. Uh, my friend Harry Mackin is always up for weird little elements. How did you feel that, about this? I'm the this weird movie? element guy. You're the weird oh, element yeah. guy. Yeah. What does what does that mean? I, I don't know. I think I um I I agree largely with that with that take. Like I think that like um I found it kind of a, a little bit boring to be honest. I mean, maybe just the 1950s like camera style but like so much of this movie for kind of better and also a little bit worse is like just guys talking in rooms and like not in an interesting way like it's tough right because like it's really hard not to directly compare this to the thing um because it's the thing uh they even like the thing literally took the font from this movie like it's the same font um and the thing is largely also about men talking in room but that movie is incredibly compelling uh and tense and exciting to watch. Whereas this movie is um, largely about like very, what I would call classic sci-fi foils of each other. There's sort of the, the soldier man of action. There's the sort of uh, more non-traditionally masculine, effeminate, and I think Jewish coded journalist, uh, which is uh, kind of interesting. And then, yeah. And then there's the scientist, which as uh, Finn noted is um, probably queer coded, uh, like definitely British like, accent. and and this also the, like the 1950s way to right, do that, yeah. right? Exactly. Constantly wearing fur, <laughs> fur, and like like kind of Russian looking fur too, which like is maybe even a more or a less subtle thing. A gay, um, Cossack, and also yeah. like a guy who like he it's the funniest straw man ever because like he ends up espousing theories of scientific knowledge that literally nobody has ever held where he's just like yeah but like if an alien lands on planet earth and it starts killing people we have to let it kill people because uh we have to like preserve it as a source of knowledge and it's just like what the fuck is this guy that, talking that's about? like that's never been a relatable like impulse or or motivation ever is like we like, cannot stand such... in the way of of knowledge and progress the purpose it's he sounds like a podcaster well, saying like the purpose like, of humanity is to learn and grow and we must let this thing kill us before we but can like, do that there is a way to do that right like i i even think that like i um i don't i don't know i like i don't want to call this movie cowardly though obviously as all like anti-red or all red scare media it is it is fundamentally cowardly but um like i i just think that like you could have created something with stakes if like the scientist was like uh you know like we should try to communicate with this thing like we don't know like what it what it's capable of we don't know what it wants like we should make a concerted effort to do that but instead he's just like yeah it really doesn't matter that it's killing people and it like it really disarms all of the stakes in my mind and all of the sort of ideological stakes because they just make him like a madman and then they make the soldiers whom maybe in like a a less straightforward movie uh and a less 1950s movie would be sort of like portrayed as a little bit 
like chauvinistic or toxically masculine and like overbearing. Instead, they seem like the only reasonable party to like a ridiculous extent. And like, if, if there is something wrong with them, it's just that like, they're a little like chummy and maybe a little bit sexist and a little bit woman obsessed, but like in this like very red blooded American way, that's supposed to be like funny and relatable. And so I, I just like it, it really seems to wear its heart on its sleeve. Um, and uh, it's very enjoyable to watch, I guess, because of that. I think, like, especially to see, like, a 1950s movie that, like, is creating Antarctic sets, um, it does a lot of the sort of process management stuff that something like The Thing does, which I like a lot, where it's just, like, the whole movie is about thinking about, like, how this thing works and how we're going to take it down eventually. They end up taking it down in a way that's so simple that... It, this thing couldn't have actually posed much of a threat to the world after all, even though they wanted to make it think it did, which is another staple. Um, they even have like a great sci-fi speech right in the middle where they go to great pains to explain the uh, like mechanics of the monster. Um, and I always love that shit. Like, I love it when like they take the time to be like, Hey, like this is how this works. And like, this is what we know about it. Um, so yeah, I, a classic sci-fi in a lot of ways, but I'm, I'm interested if anybody got more out of it than that, I guess, because I found it pretty forgettable, if enjoyable, and I'm really interested to hear what everybody else had to say. Yeah, I think a lot of this movie for me comes down to like just the lens, which with excuse me, that I developed having watched a bunch of old movies as a kid is like this is just a normal movie. Like nothing about it sort of stands out in a frictiony or like jagged way that super catches my attention because it's a lot like the movies that I watched growing up as a kid. Good, I think, decent quality, well, pretty well made for the time. Incredibly written. We talked, uh, I forget exactly what movie we were mentioning Howard Hawks in. Maybe it was The Thin Man, but just an incredibly written movie. Like so, so much dense dialogue, always talking, talking, talking. And it made me think about the moment to moment of this movie rather than like, I like Harry, you brought up how like they do go into the mechanics of it. It, it like they spend a long time looking through mic microscopes to, you know, uh, sort of define its molecular biology and sort of figure out its how it works and what you know what it needs to survive that kind of thing uh, the evidence of of it needing blood is the fact that it just sucks a bunch of wolves dry that's 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 pretty fucked up and everybody just kind of takes it in stride it made me think about again the, the sort of like moment to moment of this movie the moment to moment action kind of has this weird strange um anti like flow of the movie anti action anti horror movement to it sometimes where for example, when the alien first appears out of the ice because the guys left the electric blanket on too long, he goes from that scene to running to the other room to explaining like, you don't understand it stood up rather than the fucking alien is in there. Like, go there. Stop it. It's going to kill us. He says, you don't understand. He does like Something classic happened. 1950s hysteria. I know. Where like the person just completely loses all coherence and has to be like slapped around which, a little which bit. Which is very funny <laughs> because it happens two or three times when people are attacked or injured or like, uh, you know, incapacitated and they're left in the middle of the room and 15 people crowd them rather than go to like the source of what they were hurt by. I think it's after they figure out that he needs to get into the uh, shed to like uh you know uh, propagate with the earth in the in the garden room or whatever um in the greenhouse after that there's a guy who comes out of there all scratched up and torn up and he does the same thing he falls into the room and 15 people crowd him rather than going to see what attacked him or going to stop you know mitigate the danger or whatever i wonder if they're like is it an element of style did it work for anybody that it takes that time to like build try to build that tension or was it like for me it sort of almost stopped me in my tracks and made me think more about why i was spending that time rather than like just letting us get into the moment of moment action was it like the prolonging of horror there or you know what i mean 
sorry, if I left, if that if that wasn't a good on ramp, Finn, you can pivot oh. to a new point. Or Aaron, you got anything? Sure, I'll, I'll say I feel like the the I think like the the I don't know the the film is like structured and I think like paced quite well, and I, I do find that like it is maybe a lot of people kind of standing around and talking in rooms and maybe it doesn't do that quite as good as like the thing would later do. Um, but I feel like it is like a very competently made genre film in a way where it's like, it. I do see why so many people like want to say this is like a Howard Hawks movie um, and it's kind of enticing to do so. And that it fits into the kind of standard thing that Howard Hawks was very, very good at, which was making films in a a large variety of genres that um did not exactly like um they weren't exactly like introspective on the the genres themselves and like the shortcomings of those genres but in in like subtle and kind of nuanced ways like helped like very very subtly like push the boundaries of what those genres contained right where i think that there's like there's a ton of interesting stuff that this movie is doing like kind of right below the surface. And it is not necessarily even doing those in a way that feels like conscious or like purposeful. Um, But it's, it's like pretty easy to see why someone like John Carpenter was able to take this material and the material from who goes there and, you know, kind of mold this like very like claustrophobic, like film about paranoid, like masculinity. Right. And how he was able to like kind of, hone that into a more interesting film uh in a way and so like just like the quality of like the the genre stuff here you know again it is not doing anything like mind-blowing but it is like high enough that like i kind of want to say like yeah just give howard hawks the credit for this one uh no insult to nyby who i'm sure did a bunch of other good work but yeah i i i like the the tone and the pacing and like that build up even if it doesn't do the same thing as like the 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 carpenter film i actually i think that's a really great point aaron um and it it sort of coincides with something jason said which like i i guess i kind of overlooked this or maybe almost took it for granted because i think this is something that like um 1950s movies had to do a little bit more than a lot of movies that followed it particularly sci-fi movies because they didn't have effects but like the script in this movie is really good right like i i think in a lot of ways my my favorite part of the movie is the first act before the monster shows up because like it's just such a great sort of like place setting mechanism like we actually get established characterization for these characters who ultimately end up being like really two-dimensional foils of each other for this sort of like ideological like play but it doesn't feel like that right like it legitimately feels like these are characters like these are people that you want to get to know the captain is interesting you like his rapport his relationship i thought for like the first half hour of this movie it felt like weird air force propaganda in some ways because it's like you're gonna hang out with your cool buds who love you and you're gonna have like these situationships with hot secretaries and everybody thinks you're badass and you've got like a rope kink that was the, yeah, that was the only the time biggest. situation ship has been set on this podcast. Ooh, it's true. It's very Not the last. Uh, yeah. I'm, recent I'm, discourse. Uh, yes. Yeah, I'm on top of everything, you know, 31 years old. Um, let's see. Uh, but, like, I, I think that, like, that's probably why the ending of this movie felt so frustrating to me is because it, it almost feels like a movie that um, to sort of, like, extend your thought 
Aaron is is like frustrated with it genre almost or like it wants to be more and then it ends up having to be genre and it feels a little bit off almost or not off necessarily but it feels like it culminates into less than the sum of its parts when it did such a good job of setting up its parts right like the first two acts of this movie and the the communication between these people and the sort of process really makes a makes an argument for something like the thing like you said uh Aaron so it's like you can totally see like this is so ripe for further exploration to the point where like the like disarming of the ideological sort of like stakes at the end of the movie it almost feels like self-consciously frustrated in that it's like well we have to like turn this scientist from this sort of like queer coded baddie into like but this guy that like maybe you can like, a baddie, make, right. you can make a point for him until like all of a sudden at the end of the movie he just goes completely off the deep end and he starts saying shit that doesn't even make any sense to anybody right and it, it's just sort of like oh i get it like we this had to become a different movie here at the end so that we could get this climax so that we could kill off this thing um and it it almost feels convenient um in an interesting way but i uh i really like that point and i think it it sings really well with what i think this movie's strengths are for sure I think that's one of my like favorite parts of how 1950s it is, is because they set up in the beginning, it feels like it's Air Force propaganda. And then when the army get, hears that there's some sort of alien out there, the there's a tension shift of innovation and exploration versus this is a legitimate threat, we need to fight it. And the men on the base who are not the, the army dudes who looked all the same to me, I don't know if it was that it was a black and white film or they all just had like the same face. It's not just you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. The only characters I really remember from this film are the woman and the gay scientist. There you and go. I don't know if that says something about me, <laughs> but like they were interesting. I think not to deviate from my own point, but like those are the characters I cared about. Um, I liked how cartoony the pseudo Russian scientist was. Um, even if he was spouting nonsense, it felt like he had a reason to be there and he was an actual force for them to argue like fight against more than the thing because we don't see the thing for most of the movie it feels like he's a sub character in his own film yeah Um, we go straight from not seeing him to seeing every detail of his body and face which is another weird pivot we see like the cool propagation shit like love the the red scare this foreigner who might be a little you know um (laughs) is going to help this big hunk creature propagate his awful seed throughout the world um, like that's cool. I like that part. Um, but it, it, the rest of how they fight against it just feels so cartoony that I end up loving it again, even though they take what could be an anti-army narrative, um, going back to my original point, because the army wants them to preserve whatever the alien is. Um, and they're like, no, we got to kill it. It's going to harm the world. Maybe we should not be preserving this knowledge if it could be in- inherently harmful. Um, it takes that. And then at the very end, they have Ned Scott, who I did not realize had a name, um, do this whole speech about how we need to watch the skies. And it's like, no, you're looking right back into the military propaganda. You're going so hard on 1950s film that you become like a 1950s film. <laughs> he horseshoed the Red Scare, basically. Yep. <laughs> I, I I think that like specifically like the the scientist, the, the character of the scientist in general and like kind of that like last act turn is i think like representative of 
something that that uh, feels like I will maybe go on a dangerous tangent here. But I think that there is like it, it is interesting to consider this film as a, a film in 1951 uh, that came out, you know, two decades um well, not quite two decades, but years after uh, the original uh, novella and, and you know, decades before uh, the Carpenter film. I think that there is um, it, it is like an interesting data point when you kind of consider those three works and like the differences between them, uh, specifically in regard to the history of science fiction uh, and genre fiction kind of as a whole. Uh, and also how that like has mapped generally or like kind of uh, moved in a parallel fashion alongside the, the history of the United States. Um, and that uh, 1950 specifically as like a post world war two era, um, you know, kind of start of the U S involvement uh, in the Korean war um, kind of a, a not quite, you know, the, the Vietnam era of, you know, increased like cynicism, but like, things like that starting to kind of show like in the cracks starting to show uh, a bit more after uh, world war two um, science fiction specifically um, as a genre in film was at a, a very, very weird spot in that like previous to uh, about 45 or so science fiction was so not in the mainstream at all. In fact, you could not buy like science fiction books. Uh, most science fiction was published in magazines um, like like the one that that Campbell uh, was an editor of, he was actually probably like the number one, probably like, gatekeeper. the most important yes. sci-fi was, editor of all time, right? Or up there? Uh, yes. Which sucks because uh, he for was that a time massive period. piece of shit. But uh, uh, yes, he was go very read his uh, go read his Wikipedia page. Uh, it's it's like views on slavery, uh, feminine, you know, yeah. It's like, it's uh, literally like you, you go to it and it says like views on race, slavery and segregation. And then you see the words devil's advocate in the first sentence. Yeah. And it's like, Oh no. <laughs> it's oh, really no. Foul. Finn, I see your face. It's really yes. foul. If you haven't already seen it, yes. it's quite awful in like um, an almost I, comedic way. Yeah. But hey, I will that's, say that uh, the, that's sci-fi, baby. In a yes, lot of ways. The, the novella, the, the, the novella is, uh, maybe unfortunately, uh, quite good, uh, and, and worth reading, I think. But, all of this is to say that, like, that changed uh, specifically with um, the end of World War II, the dropping of uh, the atomic bombs and the kind of rush nature that, like, the future was kind of brought to television screens, specifically in America. And, and like, science fiction was this thing that w- was given a lot more press and kind of attention, right? And you started seeing science fiction books published by mainstream publishers. And you also started seeing uh, science fiction films like this uh, start to be kind of adapted from works that were maybe quite a bit more deep and interesting um, and and maybe like theoretical, right? And like the way that that manifested uh, specifically with genre films in like the, the 50s was kind of as like a branch off of, of like previous genre work, which was like monster movies and creature features, right? Which is why the scientist in this film is basically a mad scientist who creates you know, he does not create the alien, right? But he's interested in it in that manner, right? And so a lot of the interesting, more theoretical nature of like, you know, golden age science fiction stories were kind of sanded down to create something uh, in the mainstream and kind of acceptable to uh, Hmm. kind of larger audiences, which is why I think you see like moments in this film where it like really brushes up against that and you can kind of feel like this film wants to do something more interesting but it can't do to it being kind of and, yeah. and also like manner. there's like a a obviously grafted on b plot that's basically like his girl friday 
with like this like romance it's, arc. It's that straight happens. up, yes, bringing up baby for like, yeah. the, which is like the best part. Again, that's like no, the beginning great. of this They're film really is good. Is like, great. I think like Margaret Sheridan is like excellent. She's in this so film. good in this movie. And she's like very Finn good. said, like her character is probably the most interesting character too, right? Because she's like like kind of a weird proto feminist like figure in this movie where she's like very independent. She like has a sexual history and like kind of like plays with the main love Which interest is and the kind of stuff that like Hawks was known for, right? Hawks right, was like exactly. clearly not a feminist, clearly quite conservative uh politically, even if he didn't talk about it a lot, but like Again, there are these elements in his films where, like, he's he's playing in, you know, kind of genres, but he is, like, pushing against it, I think, largely unconsciously, but maybe that's unfair to, to Hawks, you know. Yeah, I mean, just to sort of piggyback off of that, and particularly your point about the Korean War, um, I think that some of the mainstreamization of this movie actually, like, benefits it. Um, for instance, Finn brought up that, like, there is a, like, anti-military... Um, and it's it's actually an anti-authoritarian like schism that runs through this movie, right? Because like as they note at like two different times, and it, it's even a little bit like um, laundered in, which like makes it even more conspicuous. But like the the soldiers on the ground keep getting orders from the military, and they agree with the scientists, right? Like they keep being like, no, like don't hurt the alien because like we need it for research. It's very like alien, where it's like crew expendable, right? Um, and so like there is this like really interesting kind of for the first time schism between like the quote unquote working class or like man on the ground narrative like the grunts right like the captain the lieutenants versus like military higher-ups who maybe don't actually have the interests of their men in their hearts right like they don't actually care about the people they command they care about achieving strategic objectives and like it's super worth noting right that like that was like big time the korean war and very much not necessarily the historical like perception of the military before the korean war right like in world war ii it was sort of like we're all in this together right like and then like things like the korean war and the vietnam war happened and it's like oh wait like this is a war that like in many cases like the people on the ground don't even know what why they're fighting right and like the reason they're fighting is to prop up like capitalist regimes in uh countries that are like going communist and so like there was like all of a sudden this like this paranoia about like what if like the u.s military higher-ups and the government don't actually like have the best interest of the american people and especially like the people fighting in their hearts and like it's kind of interesting to see that like gestured at right where like all of a sudden it's like there is instead of like science versus um like might or patriotism versus communism there is also a little bit of like class in this movie where it's like it's like authority versus uh, like the people who are actually going to be affected by these things, right? Um, and I think like that's a really interesting dimension to introduce to this. Um, and again, like I think it's it's kind of interesting and funny that like it ends up breaking down along those traditional sci-fi lines, but like just by adding that nuance, that sort of breakdown, um, like the pieces end up in different places, right? And it, it's sort of a more interesting. It sort of becomes like a a commentary about like, not just like communism must be destroyed because it's bad or like, you don't like scientific knowledge isn't worth it. It's like specifically like the pursuit of scientific knowledge isn't worth like the destruction of the people who are actually going to have to pay the consequences for that, which like extremely disagreeable if we're talking about communism in a lot of ways and like, like kind of gross, but also like kind of a really interesting point to make in general. Uh, it's a really interesting point to like insert the idea that like, Oh, like there are people who 
are not responsible for these things who it's below their pay or it's above their pay grade who are going to reap immediate consequences for these sort of like larger strategies and their opinions should also matter. And we should also consider them, um, especially in like the pre-stage to the Korean war. I think that's a really fascinating aspect of this movie. Also to like juxtapose this against the space race, um, which a lot of horror is the genre of exploiting human fear. Um, I think it can be beautiful. A lot of the films from the 30s and 40s are very much othering. And, you know, if you look at them, they are stories about queerness. They are stories about feeling like the monster in your own community. Um, and so you go to the 1950s and you have a lot of these films that are then dominated by fears of communism and the space race and exploration. Um, it kind of, it's it's this weird period where horror is not owned by horror. It's owned by Hollywood. Um, and I, I feel like we've kind of bounced back and forth between that a lot. Um, over the last however many years uh, but yeah so it has this really cool undertone of potentially gesturing at like class unity and the importance of having like the one reporter there who is like the protagonist in the description Aaron gave but he's not really the protagonist of the movie he's kind of just the comedic relief um, and, and also like he's supposed to be very much like the audience standard right yeah. in fact like we're supposed to be sort of converted the same way he is where it's like we're supposed to come in and sort of be skeptical and like make fun of these army guys a little bit and then at the end we're supposed to be like they're actually big heroes and i'm going to tell you about it <laughs> oh he has like the greatest quote which had i not been so annoyed by those people my quote would have been um oh something along the lines of that's what i love about the army they're smart all the way to the top um, because the army has just blown up the alien ship and their report from the general was, hey, use thermite bombs. And it's like, we good old, <laughs> good old U.S. Army just destroying literally everything. Um, but no, he he's very much the like weird audience insert. Um, and he keeps throughout the film, he keeps trying to get back to headquarters because he wants to be the one who breaks the news. And then he gets to the end. And it's not like a journalistic he doesn't tell anyone that the scientist was actually bad. He doesn't communicate anything relevant besides the army stopped the alien. And then he has a call to, call to arms. And it's not class consciousness. It's, no, we need to fight the bad guys yeah. together, like gesturing at unity. But it's not really unity. Yeah, he's sort of treated – I'm going to heighten it above what it actually is. But like it, he's sort of treated almost like Lugan Pressa, like, like, the li- like the one who doesn't belong there because he's just trying to break the story and that doesn't benefit anybody kind of thing. And he's in opposition to even the people who are like working with him, not like morally, he wants to be there to tell the story and stuff, but he's constantly suppressed for it. And at the end, finally, he's converted. Like, I think it's probably at the point at which he faints while they're zapping the thing to death is like, that's when he's supposed to be like, oh, he understands that the American military might has now like completely floored him with their bravery and ingenuity and the violence that they enacted to, you know, rid the earth of this great evil Yeah, he, thing, he's every you know? single war reporter in a Hollywood movie, right? Where, right. Like, by the end, he just like is so in love with the troops. Yeah. Even doesn't if he's he, not in love with the war, you know? Doesn't he say at one point, oh, they, they didn't say that to me at like... Kuwait or yeah, something. He references yeah. some other Okinawa, famous battle he, he, was he was at. Yeah. Okinawa yeah. too, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's uh it's it's a lot that character. Um it makes me think like Aaron, you brought up uh, the mainstreamification of science fiction and sort of how this movie is like caught there in that interesting space. Did science fiction generally and how did like Okay, so I'm trying to structure the question around what came after this and sort of the things it inspired. Mm-hmm. The things it inspired being clearly The Thing um, and a lot of other uh, science fiction that came in the 70s, 80s, 90s. Did 
that moment in science fiction where it became more popular, more mainstream, less less transgressive, maybe in some ways, less Im imaginative, sure. did, fantastical, experimental. Right, right. Yes. Did, did that parallel any growing like conservatism in the same space and in, in the same movement to make it like more palatable to an American to a, to a patriotic nationalist American audience? I don't mean to blow the conversation out way too far, but that, I'm just trying to think about like if this movie helped do a thing that set the stage for something like the thing to come around, and obviously a far I think more full-throated statement of what it's trying to do and a little bit more nuanced and fun to watch. Um, did this movie contribute to the sort of movement that later uh, inspired the things that it inspired managed to like, you know what I'm saying? I feel like I'm not vocalizing. I, yeah. Super uh, so I'll say that like one specifically like the 1950s onward, 1945 onward. I mean, a lot of people like identify it specifically like, the minute the nuke drops, there was like a change, right? Uh, maybe that's not, that's probably not exactly true. It probably largely has to do with like post-war economy and, and larger cultural changes, right? Um, but it, it is interesting because like golden age science fiction was like almost entirely written by men, uh, almost entirely written by white men, right? But there was, um, those stories could be a little more like theoretical and like, I said like fantastical, right? And that um, uh, I think Asimov specifically said that like once science fiction like got into the mainstream, that kind of increased attention, uh, like very much like nailed writers to the ground. Like it really grounded what they were writing um, in a way that they kind of were, were free of uh, previously, right? Mm -hmm. And that you do get like films like this that in which, you know, uh, uh, an alien monster is like largely representative of, you know, the threat of communism and whatnot uh, in a manner that like can be read a little bit from the original story. But like the original story is like a hundred pages of incredibly hard science fiction about like people Which wondering really like what the body, what the, what chemicals like the body is made up of and like how that impacts like, if it if it were to turn into a bird, would that impact based right, on right. the atmosphere on Earth? And like versus that its is home very planet? much like what pre nineteen forty five sci fi was all about. Yes. It's like they they still told stories, like Aaron is yes. saying, but you could really tell that like what they were actually interested in was like we want to like think about like what wild biology yeah. and technology would look like and, and speculate on that. And it you know and there's so, still some yeah, of that what, here. What you would get like at least from in terms of like visual mediums, like, you know, the film and television and whatnot, what you'd get is, is often kind of experimental stuff after this, but experimental stuff that was very much handicapped by that uh, need to kind of get some sort of, of mainstream uh, attraction. Um, and also like very practical concerns around like budget, right. Which is why like, you know, something like Star Trek, which a lot of people have said partially correctly is like a very, especially for its time, like progressive, uh, progressive show in terms of how it dealt with like race and sexuality, uh, and things of that nature. Um, but also like, you know, it's a lot of, uh, you know, people wearing lizard suits, you know, that, that captain Kirk is, is like wrestling around with. Right. Cause it's like pretty cheap to put a, a guy in a lizard suit and have him, you know, wrestle around for, for, you know, a few minutes on the television. Right. Um, you don't start to kind of break out of that, at least in the mainstream until you get even more mainstream acceptance. And then you get kind of the budget and the space to kind of make something that challenges that, which is why you look at something like the first Star Trek film, which so many people hate and call it incredibly boring, but is actually a, a quite 
brave uh, kind of um, challenge toward a lot of the assumptions that were made uh, about like what other kinds of life might look like, right? Mm. Like, why do we go to all these planets and just a bunch of guys, you know, why is it a, a bunch of aliens it's that the, kind of look like it's humans? The Carl Sagan thing about like how it, Star Wars imagines a world so, so far away. And yet there's, it's mostly white guys with two legs walking around with guns, you know? Yes. And so, and so like a lot of the, the philosophy that is kind of baked into, uh, uh, narratives about like exploration and conquest and war and whatnot that are, that are, that are like, owe a lot to like, uh, philosophy and, and kind of ways of thinking about things like slavery and colonialism, uh, and like manifest destiny, like those things start to be, start to be challenged once, uh, kind of the, the standard ways of thinking about this kind of stuff is, is starting to like break free, which is why you get um, like post-colonial writers and feminist writers who start to kind of think more critically about this kind of stuff. I would argue that it is based in films like this that like we're not maybe consciously doing so, but, but like laid a groundwork for it. Yeah. It's really interesting. I think that's a really good point, Aaron. Accidentally muted myself. Sorry. Um, I, uh, um, I think that like, Almost on a meta level, um, this movie's relationship to sci-fi as a genre and also filmmaking, and specifically sci-fi filmmaking, is a really good sort of like addition to that point. Where like, first of all, you get Howard Hawks, not like a traditional person to make a sci-fi movie, right? Like a guy who's sort of known for his whip-crack dialogue and characters and um, like love for big cinema in a lot of ways. And um, you put him in this movie, and then ultimately the the point of this movie comes down to the idea that like we can't forget about the human in the face of like progress and sort of like macro historical narratives of scientific advancement and uh, the next stage of humanity or whatever. And like, that's kind of an interesting point to make in a sci-fi movie when like sci-fi was such a hard genre to grasp for film for exactly the reason that Aaron described, right? Is that like in prose, you can describe wild creatures and you can have long monologues about like the theoretical uh, physics of those creatures, but like that's not a thing you can do in um, movies because you have a limited budget and because like you don't have the technology to do that, right? And so like this movie had to like be very sparing with how it showed its alien, and instead it had to focus a lot more on the people. And I think it's kind of interesting that like it kind of makes those things, those limitations, a feature in a way that I feel like a lot of sci-fi did, and like almost in doing so they like they found their raison d'etre for doing that right where it's like oh like if we have like limited capacity to do these things then we can make movies about how that limited capacity is interesting or important and like that that kind of became like a hallmark of uh movies like this like i think a lot about like jurassic park doing the same thing right where it's like they they were so sparing with the way that they showed off the cgi mm. because they wanted to sort of make that part of the point and i feel like sci-fi has a long history of doing those sorts of things in a way that sort almost like coincides with the ideology or the themes um and i really like that idea yeah i, I think that like to, to kind of put it like pretty simply like it is, you know, it costs like millions of dollars to make something like it costs hundreds of millions of dollars to make something like Dune. Right. Where if like if I need to make a TV show, I bet it's really tempting to just make like a mini series of six episodes where it's like, you know, it's like Black Mirror. Like what what if your your phone was your mate? You know what I mean? 
Um, that's a lot cheaper and, and kind of easier to do. But I do think that like you run the risk or like the genre runs the risk of, I think, getting mired a bit much. I think if like all you're doing is like reflecting on using like, you know, kind of speculative fiction to reflect upon current kind of issues, I think that you do eventually just kind of get mired down in those issues, even if you are challenging them to a certain extent, right? We're like, you know, a, a science fiction story that is like so theoretical and is like in some way like free of like our understanding about what the world is and like why people act in certain ways and things about like the economy and war and whatnot is like in some ways like that is like kind of more challenging to those concepts than like, you know, a science fiction film about capitalism being bad. And it's like, yeah, I think it's, I think it's bad, but like there's a whole lot of science fiction TV shows about how capitalism is bad. Uh, and they're, they're cheaper to make, I think, um, than, than something that is more speculative. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting point, but like, it is kind of that, that that's almost the opposite of the course of sci-fi that you were describing a little bit earlier that I think I agree with, which is that like when a bunch of like white dudes in the twenties, thirties and forties were making sci-fi, they like went super speculative because it was like, we don't actually like legitimately, they didn't want to comment on anything about their society. Like they were just interested in oh, like being oh, a lot of those authors really love to comment. Uh, you go read some old. Oh Pine no, one. yeah, yeah, I a know, lot. but I, I mean, <laughs> like, women that, are getting too many jobs, unfortunately. Right. Like really regressive <laughs> opinions, but also like there was like this, um, this almost like, uh, like entitlement in not entitlement's not quite the right word, but like this frustration with the idea that sci-fi authors would have to be like evaluated the way that like literary works were, where it was like, Oh, but what are you trying to say with this story? You know what I mean? They would, they would often be like, no, like it, it's speculative. It's fiction. It's like, I'm, I'm trying to tell a cool, I'm trying to think about cool ideas. With it's a my crab sci-fi. guy. He has three arms. Yeah. And then like, your fucking problem, <laughs> which is where like post-colonial and feminist sci-fi came from. Right. It was like all of these criticisms that were like, Oh, actually like sci-fi has always been about this. Like when you were writing about the big crab guy, what you were actually doing, whether you knew it or not was sort of like reflecting power it was structures a gay, big crab guy. that, like, right. yeah, that existed right. <laughs> in our society. Um, and so it's really interesting to hear, to hear you say that like there, there is also like, there is maybe a, a point to like being speculative um, in more complex ways so that you're not just doing that, like um, that two dimensional story about capitalism thing. That's very funny. I, it's making me think of like the kinds of stories that movies and sci-fi, excuse me, sci-fi was able to tell before movies became part of the picture. Again, I'm probably going back to that modernization and mainstreamification type deal uh, that Aaron brought up originally, but like the types of stories that it was able to tell and like that were, uh, I don't know, encouraged or sort of like given a place prior to the film format um, could be a little bit more, whatever, uh, high, high, high minded, a little more theoretical, um, opening that space for discourse and dialogue later on as third, fourth wave feminism started to come in and, you know, modern notions of class and structure, uh, gender and race, et cetera, started to set in in the fifties and sixties. Um, and sort of like what was enabled by and limited by, you know, like if we had to explain a bigger concept in a movie from the 1950s or 60s that was about sci-fi, it was going to be have, have to be shown off screen generally. If we were going to make a movie that was going to sell and have pulp appeal, that's going to have to be shown on screen. We've got to have the Boris Karloff knockoff guy with the pointy fingers be the thing rather than like 
I didn't read the source novel this is based on, but it talks about the thing squishing under doorways and doing like super, really supernatural shit rather than just surviving bullets, I guess. It's like, I'm not exactly sure where to take this point, but the idea that certain elements of sci-fi were like focused on and enabled by the necessities, by the resources available to people making these movies and telling these stories visually versus like what they were actually limited to, um, uh, you know, and, and how that dictated what stories came about, what stories became uh, more popular, yeah. what, what stories like actually thrived and what sort of like counter movements and more critical appraisal started to seep. It's into very the much like the medium is the message, right? Like right. I was talking yeah. about, it's, it's, like there's it's something like really interesting happening. You could there. perceive these as pre-modern or straight up modern stories, depending on how you like, I guess, look at it. I guess I'm talking about the wide ambiguity of all media at this point. I've really exploded the conversation way above its station, but it's just, it's igniting those parts of my brain. So my apologies to, to bring us back down to earth. I will say oh, that no. is all true. However, uh, the scene where the guy runs it on fire, that shit looks incredible. That looks really good. Looks also, the dumbest, see that? the dumbest thing, and I'm including every single war we've ever been in, the dumbest thing a soldier has ever done. What the fuck are you doing in a wooden shack yeah. in the middle of, 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 the, of the frozen wilds, throwing gasoline and flame at a guy, just throwing them at beds and shit? Dumbest thing. Serious measures. You got Look, you got to do what you got to do. To you know? give this movie some credit with like the not showing versus the showing, when they have the explosives... Like those effects, wonderful. It was very delightful watching that whole sequence of them yeah. trying to throw a kerosene mm-hmm. and then lighting everything on fire and how the different characters in the room, because there are so many of them, are trying to avoid getting hit by the flames. Um, and then them blowing up the uh, spaceship on accident. Oh, boy. Stunning. That yeah. would be my good grief, give me a gift. Just the shot of them watching Ooh. the smoke rise. That was a very beautiful moment in this otherwise, like, kind of all over the place in a little cartoonish movie i i will say there's a shot from that same scene that i'll bring up as well but where they're all they all come to link hands and you as the viewer just watch the frame start to get bigger and they realize how big it is wonderful shit wonderful and the shit. fact that it's a saucer like literally a flying saucer and yeah. then the journalist like literally says makes it text where he's like we finally found one a flying saucer i think it would have been <laughs> a really good reveal if he just worked for like the national examiner all along or something <laughs> like the national inquirer or something <laughs> he was just like an alien advocate all this time love it um are we ready then for a junk drawer and a give me a griff or are do we have other larger I think we can scooch there then. I'm going to open up the junk yeah. drawer for our hanging uh, chads of thoughts. That's uh, It sounds a little bit like this. It's, it's a little squeaky. I didn't uh, oil it this week, so it's going to be a little mm-hmm. bit noisier than usual. Imagine uh, paper clips and pins and all sorts of shit in there. Ouch. You poked your finger. A little bit of blood. It's probably nothing. Wait until 35 you minutes. You should be cleaning up your junk drawer. No. It's rusty, you know? it's dusty, it's got dog yeah. hair and shit and boogers in it. It's the junk drawer. Dog it's where hair in your junk drawer? It's where these things belong. Um, we have, I, I'm just going to say the phrase, uh, when they are in the f- plane, they're headed toward the wreckage site. This guy says the phrase, half flaps full rich about six times, and I cannot get that phrase out of my head. Half flaps full rich. I assume it's pilot speak. That's my only junk drawer thought is it's very funny. He says the head phrase, half flaps full rich. Might be the queerest part of the movie. Half flaps full rich funniest thing i've ever heard in, in weeks um that's my else? diner order that's what i that's that's how i order my pancakes you stumble in at 10 30 for brunch and you order one hot plate of half flaps full rich anybody else with a junk drawer thought uh there's an amazing shot it's i don't really want it to be my gif because i think it would just be kind of silly but like we look outside it's like the 
we haven't even seen the full monster yet. And the first the first scene where we see the monster uh, in in all of his glory is really fantastic because they just open a door and all of a sudden he's right there. Uh, it's very Jurassic Park style. Great reveal. But before that, you see a couple of like uh, blurry glimpses of him, not unlike that Twilight Zone episode, Nightmare on 30,000 Feet. Uh, at 30,000 Feet, excuse me. Um, where like he's just out in the um, in the Arctic. And uh, one of those shots is when he's being attacked by dogs and like we just cut out and for a second we just see him like whipping our dog around just like full on like whipping the shit out of he this rowdy, dog rowdy around that, his that head. Wolf, it's yeah. brutal. And like I I really like laughed my ass off at that part specifically. Um, so shout outs to that part um, and shout outs to uh, the other line that was going to be my third line where um, they keep talking about it like it's a carrot. And at one point, the uh, the journalist says, in intellectual carrot, the mind boggles. And the scientist responds, it shouldn't. And it's like, all right. I, I like I know you're a scientist, but like, I think it's OK to have your mind boggled by a, a carrot that can think and talk. <laughs> What's the point of being a scientist if you're not right. in wonder? Exactly. It's, I mean, I guess Thank he is you. in the rest of the film, but you know True. what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm just going with the, going with the But bit. that's what I got for my juncture of thoughts. Aaron, you got anything else dangling around there? You really put the work in, I think, on thinking about this from a sci-fi angle. So I don't blame you if you got yeah. nothing else. If that big uh, I, I like the. I know it's like a. I know it's like actually a pretty effective jump scare. But the scene where just the he barges in through the. They open the door and he's just like, so, like waiting, waiting right outside. Hilarious once you know that that's what pretty happens good. if yeah. you go back and watch it. He's just like hanging out. You know what I mean? Incredible. He's just like guy, that scene. He just looks like Peter Lorre just dangling around. He's just a, it's just a, again, it's just a dude. That is just like a dude. Yeah. They put like some Jim, prosthetics on his forehead. You know? That's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, uh, Finn, if you got, do you have any junk drawer thoughts you want to toss out before we get to good grief? Give me a gif. Um, it's kind of alluded through throughout our discussion, but this is a very funny movie. Um, just, and it's, I think one of the funniest things to me is how casually every character delivers their dialogue. Like, oh yes, we'll just blow it up with thermite bombs. That got me. I don't know why. It just felt yeah. so funny that they were like, yes, this is the thing we're going to do. And then they were all carrying around the bombs. Um, and then the dramatic irony of the guy watching the uh, body when it's in ice going, oh, I should have a horror story. And the fact that it's melted with an electric blanket. Like there are some scenes in this that feel like they're in a Scooby Doo episode. It's a comedy of errors at a certain point. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty that, good. Uh, that thermite bomb line in particular is really funny because it's like so like uh overly casual Hollywood where it's just like, oh yeah, well, like the writers are like, but like our army men do that shit every day. So like for them, they talk about thermite bombs the way we talk about like, oh, I got to go sharpen my pencil or something. Right. And it's just like, I don't know that that's true. Writer guys. Like, I think you could, you could like handle this with a little bit more weight. It's, but it's just like, oh yeah, we got to go grab the fucking thermite bombs again. Don't worry. This will be dust in 30 seconds. He says, and they just casually walk away. Um, we have another segment that we like to call good grief. Give me a gif. It's about gifts that'll go out with this episode when we put it on Twitter. Um, there's no ranking or value to each of these, but, uh, it's just whatever you feel we should put on. I heard one from Finn earlier about the smoke rising after they explode. They fucking murk that thing. You don't even see pieces of it later on. It's just the body that's flown out next to it that remains. But anyway, uh, Finn, were there any other shots from this movie? Timestamps help, but not necessary, uh, that you would like to see going out with this episode on Twitter. Yeah, I saw this in theater, so unfortunately I don't have any you don't time ha- stamps you for don't you, have a constant stopwatch going? The clicking in the background isn't you? I like to be a normal person in a movie theater, so Why are you on no. this podcast? That's a great question. Um, 
no, I, I really liked that shot. Um, or any of the shots where it cuts to them in the plane and they have all the huskies. They were, they were so good. Good dogs. R.I.P. to the huskies oh, who died. Man. That just got me every time they would have the discussion in the cockpit and then you'd cut and it's just like six dudes packed in with a full like team of sled dogs. Well, and, and like, good. for me, like that was the jump scare of the movie, right? Because I've, I've seen the thing and I didn't know anything about this movie. So when they cut to the fucking Huskies, I was like, oh shit, here we go. Like, oh my God, like it's <laughs> popping off now. And then it, that obviously didn't end up happening because the thing is not actually, it's kind of just like a big plant Frankenstein, yeah. not like a thing that takes but for a second i was like oh my god wait like this is the thing those huskies are going to be the bad guy uh so that was really exciting for sure uh would one of your shots then harry be the wolf getting windmilled like yeah the i think so i don't have uh time stamps either um i watch this at home i'm just lazy um but uh, also, I, I caught like maybe around an hour is when they open the door and just see the monster standing there. That would be a good one. Um, when they first set the monster on fire by just like throwing a flaming blanket at it, that's really a good scene. Um, and then uh, I already mentioned this one, but I really, really love when all of the soldiers like they try to get the, they say they're getting the shape of it on the ice of the flying saucer. And they just like basically... I don't know if they literally hold hands, but in my mind they're holding hands and they like they like walk outward and like form a perfect circle out on the ice. Really great shot. Really like iconic uh, image from this movie. That was I good. feel like it sort of set this. I, that was mine too because it sort of set the the stakes of the thing. Like they just show I don't know maybe a like bread box sized chunk of it sticking out of the ice, and until you see them sort of space out and it's like the size of a tennis court, then they realize oh shit, this ain't no tiny meteorite. This is a thing. This is a whole ass thing. I... And it's like not shaped like a plane. Yeah. Like they thought it was a plane. And then they're like, it turns out it's perfectly circular. Yeah, it's I wonderful. bet like you could make a really great poster out of that. I feel like that's the iconic shot from Ooh, this movie. Yeah, if it were 2012, we'd get Ollie Moss on it and he'd do something with like a circle and a, and a virus or a, 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 whatever plant DNA looks like. Let's get him on it. Let's get him on it. Um, Aaron, anything you would like to see uh, visually from this movie? I will say, sorry, can you open the junk drawer again really quick? I, I had another thought. Son of a, well, can I actually just, never closed it, that? so I'll play this sound effect. We've, we're mixing Well, no, this. if it's still open, then... It's still it's, open, Okay, please. now I'll close it. After, okay, after I say after this, then done. close it. Okay. Uh, I will say it's very good that Tarantino took the close the door joke for The Hateful Eight. Very... Uh, uh, I good love bit. that joke in The Hateful Eight. It's very good here as well. Uh, just kind of... Good job on him for, I guess, also, uh, I assume he'd probably just seen this from sitting around the movie store for, you know, 20 hours a day when he was younger. But mm-hmm. uh, I like that joke a lot here. It's very good. Uh, my gift would be the the guy on fire running around. Shut up. Wait. Your gift would be what? Uh, the, uh, my gift, the guy on fire. The, the, the alien, you know, Thank he's running you. around. The alien, yeah. the, the massive alien. Okay. Uh, well, I will mark yours down as the guy... The the guy on the man on fire from Metal Gear Solid Five. On, just Pain. do a gif of the movie Man on Fire, actually, and just don't. <laughs> hmm. uh, I'm right Maybe on. That's funnier. The whole, the whole thing in like 144p uploaded to Twitter as one gif. How about that? Um, <laughs> you got to subscribe to Twitter Blue for this oh joke. God. Unfortunately, I'm gonna die. Um, I was gonna say thank you so much for being on Finn, but I understand we're actually being surprised uh, by another yet another bit. I mean, we've already packed this thing full of bits. We're down one with Cody being gone, but are you here to pick up the slack? 
Oh, obviously, because um, there's <laughs> nothing I love more than making men compete and talking about myself. Um, and Cody's not here, so I wanted to make you all compete and talk about myself um, with just it's not it's not cute. It's not Cody's noties. It's just fin facts. Um, <laughs> okay, but they're you all said questioned. it's not cute, and then you said something that's arguably <laughs> cuter than Cody's noties. In fact, maybe inarguably cuter because it's alliterative, which everybody wow. knows is cute. You heard it here first, guys. I am the cutest podcaster. Um, Yeah, no, I, from what I've gleaned from y'all, you don't talk about horror too often. Um, And so these are all questions that are either about horror movies or they're about me. Um, It's not too many. Do we Um, choose which is like, are we like, that's a fin fact? Or we're like, that's a horror movie fact. And it's like, okay, excellent. You'll know. (laughs) You'll know. Will we? (laughs) Well, we'll just have to see. And if you guess correctly, uh, you don't get anything. Um, Shit. Yeah, sorry. Uh, But the first question is just, you know, the 50s have all these weird movies. Um, I was looking through some of them today, and some of these titles don't sound like real movies. So I just picked three. Um, One of these actually is not a real film. Um, So you have to decide which one it is. Uh, Your three options are A, Attack of the Puppet People, B, The Claw from Hell, or C, The Hideous Sun Demon. (laughs) Um. Do we have an order of just whoever jumps uh, in first? Jason, Harry, Aaron. Uh, see, that's our ranking. I w- that was a trick question. Um, I'm going to go for the puppet, pe- the attack of the puppet people, was it? I'm going to go with that. Yep. I think that might, might be fake. Okay. Uh, this is classic Harry overthinking, but the claw from hell sounds the most like it could be a movie, but also like it's from the 50s and I don't remember the Hayes Code, so like maybe you can say hell. <laughs> can you the say hell? Claw from I don't shit know. Hell. Yeah. Claw from right, H exactly. apostrophe. Yeah, or H yeah, asterisk. They, yeah. they asked it out and Hitchcock is like, make sure you don't say the The claw from H-E double hockey sticks. So I'm going to go with the claw from hell. Okay. You are locked in for Claw from Hell, Aaron. Aaron, are you going to cover the McFucking Spread, spread, What one did Jason guess again? Jason Uh, guessed. Attack of the Puppet People. And then the other one was the Hideous Sun Demon. Here's the thing. I... No, I think it, I th- just think it's B. So I think it's the Claw from Hell. I don't shit. I don't. I don't know how do you make a movie out of just a claw. I mean that's absurd. But yeah, so how I'll do you do... just make a movie out of a thing from another planet, dog? A hideous some. Well, that's. I mean that's just a just a claw. Just a claw. The name of just any a movie. claw. Like all right, look, it's a claw. It's not attached to anything. You would get kicked. Just you would get kicked out of the, of, of the little you know, alien group from, from, from Toy Story so life. fast. You what would is be kicked a claw? Out so that's not fast. a problem. I'm going to say The Claw from Hell is not a real film. Okay. Um, for a moment, I thought of doing something mean and making these all real. Uh, but no, Aaron called the bluff. It is The Claw from Hell. Shit, of course. Um, yes. It could have been The Claws from Hell. That might have been more believable. But, yeah. uh, I, you know, I'm just curious about how anybody <laughs> is going to feel endangered by a claw. You know, just a claw. That's all I'm saying. To, nice job, Harry, as well. I mean, don't, yeah. don't, don't compare this to Claws you know, Aaron. This is a Claw from Hell. This is a different thing now. Entirely. The claws from hell, a legal, a legal drama <laughs> thriller, starring George Clooney. Say, you fucking that's asshole. incredible. You asshole. That's incredible. Now that's, that's just a film that I would watch. Just that was what the uh, Joseph Heller originally called Catch Twenty Two, and then they were like, "No, Joe, you got to come up with something better <laughs> no. than that." That's not very good. Oh god. <laughs> uh, okay, so if I read correctly, that's one point each for them. One point each for Harry and Aaron. Um, also, they can say hell. Uh, from Hell It Came was the oh, 1957 really? okay. movie. So. Perfect. Okay. Um, but yeah, Attack Did of the, the Puppet People wrong, is got real. Did the right answer. 
And so yeah. is the hideous sun demon, which was hideous the one sun demon. I was like, that one sounds so That's ridiculous that it has to be that true. Yeah, oh yeah. Watch That's everybody. incredible. Yep. Rad. Okay, question two. The Thing from Outer Space is the first of three adaptations of Who Goes There, as we've talked about way too much. Um, there are many 1950s films that spawned multi-film franchises. I'm going to give you three films, and you have to determine which one has the most films in total in its wow, series. this is a very Cody question, I will say. Not to compare, but there's a standard of quality, and you're meeting it. <laughs> Learned from the master. Uh, Cody, pretend I didn't say that. Uh, so your f- three film options are The Blob, The Fly, and Invasion of the Body Snatchers. These all came out in the 1950s, and they all have sequels. So we are ranking these by what we think has most to fewest? Just pick the one oh. you think has the most. You don't have to guess the number. Okay. Um, I have no metric for this. I'm just going to go anecdotally. I'm going to say Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I feel like I have at least heard of four or five of those movies. So I'm going to go Invasion. Okay. I think I'm going with Body Snatchers, too. I, I remember there being quite a few of those. I could be wrong, but now I don't think there are that suspicious. many the flies. I'm now but, suspicious. Well, if it, was that, if it feels, feels that easy. Aaron? I, yeah, well, so I, I grew up watching the original blog. We had it on VHS. Uh, and I know Is there's there Steve like... McQueen in that? I'm sorry. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. I, I do not remember it, but sure. It's wild. Yeah. I saw it at the yeah. trial on, actually. It's pretty there's, great. Yeah. Um, and then I... I I know there's the gritty remake, and then I, I would assume there's like three blob films. Doesn't seem like enough. I don't know. I think there's just the two flies. I'm also going to go. I'm tied for first, so it's there's really just fucking over Jason here at this point. I'm going to go for Invasion of the Body Snatchers as well. Yes, fuck yes. In a fin fact, first you're all wrong. Fuck. Oh, well, um, there well. are four Body Snatchers movies. Two the blobs. Um, and I just learned How many today, flies? five fly five movies. The fly what? Movie? Uh, yeah, there's the fly, Return sure of the there's... Fly, Curse okay. of the Fly, okay. Cronenberg's The Fly, and then The Fly Two. I don't know if that was directed by Cronenberg. I don't think it was. Jesus are we Christ. sure that none of those are like about a superhero named the Fly that's unrelated? <laughs> they are all listed you know? together in the same series on Wikipedia. Actually, okay, so, white men can't wild. jump is one of them. <laughs> white men can't jump, but they can't fly. Exactly. Cool. Uh, still tied one one zero. Wow. Um, your third question: The thing from another world was the directorial debut of Christian Nyby, or it was done by Howard Hawks. I don't care how many directors or how many movies in total did Christian Nyby direct. Uh, you know, I, I feel like a fool because I was looking at this while I was watching the movie. I watched it at home. I looked at his letterbox, and I want to say it's very. Sm- I want to say th- three films. Okay. I also looked at his letterbox at one point, and I remember there being two rows. So I'm going to say what are you, se- what are you seven right films. Now? Uh, I, I looked at his Wikipedia and did research for this episode. Um, I, I do we, are we counting like made for TV films? Like what? What's uh? What are we counting here? Uh, we're counting. Is this just ba- is this based off just like IMDb or Letterboxd? Okay, uh, I think it's six. It might be seven, it might be seven Harry might, but I think it's six. Okay, so I forgot that y'all are losers and use Letterboxd. I did. I used Wikipedia. I use Wikipedia um, too. I think it's six yeah. on Wikipedia. Is it six? I I counted seven on Wikipedia. <laughs> so <laughs> the answer is seven. Uh, I don't think I, I will disqualify one of those. Let me find one as a short film or something. You, no, I'm, you... Kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, nice job, Harry. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. 
Did was okay. that a seven from Harry? Or no, you did said I miss I, I got seven. Okay. Fuck. I don't know if Harry okay. has seven. Fuck. Harry, if you're lying to if, me, if I'm gonna was, find you. If only there was some way to verify this information, such as a recording of me saying seven. I actually have an, a Harry AI built. <laughs> he can tell me what you would have guessed. Uh, okay, so that is that's. It said he, it said he guessed hauntology. <laughs> All right, Light Diamonds Jubilee, his second film was a two-hour made-for-TV special. Shut can up. we get that counted okay. as a TV uh... show? <laughs> that's all I mean. This is my game. I'm making the rules, and if I forget what Harry said, he gets half a point. <laughs> okay. I'm, there's a reason that's I'm the not same a regular as a point, podcaster. That's, that's not wait. That's the same as a point. Okay. I guess well, if I get okay, yeah, okay, you yeah. can beat him by point five points, Aaron. It's just a question that's of true. you. Yeah, I think there that will would be, be a first. another half point in here. Don't, Don't worry. worry. Okay. Okay. Um, so this is the next question. Um, it's a very important question to me personally. If you get this wrong, I'm never coming back to your show. Uh, a lot of people will cite John Carpenter's The Thing as their favorite horror movie. It's influential. Like, it is a good movie. What is my favorite horror movie? You get options. Um, but you have to guess correctly. And your options are Videodrome from 1983, A Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984, or Creep from 2014. I'm going to say creep. Okay. Man, this is hard because I know a lot about you. I know a lot about you. <laughs> uh, and I know that, <laughs> no, um, that's creep, I know that you like Videodrome a lot and that you like creep a lot. But I, I think creep is like the more, and I, I don't know if video, wait, Videodrome is your favorite Cronenberg. I remember that. So that might mean, but I, like creep is... Creep is such an interesting idiosyncratic answer because it is good, but I feel like people don't talk about it. So I'm going to go with Creep also. That's my long-winded answer. I was going to say, I let my okay. hairy AI go a little long on that one. <laughs> I, I believe you gave Videodrome four out of five on Letterboxd. So hopefully that that's not the answer. I was going to say, mm, I was going to say, true. now there's no, nothing yeah, objective about quality. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to break from the pack. Solidify my, I guess, would be lead. I'm going to say uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. I do really love that movie. Um, before I give Come you on. the answer, I wanted to show off my Cronenberg is daddy pin. Uh, I got it. <laughs> you can't see it. Yeah. Um, but I got it with Emily Suey, who's wonderful. Um, Shut up. And Aaron's wrong. Jason and Harry are correct. Fuck yes. <sighs> I, I should have just. It's, it's such a weird little movie, and I've seen it 17 times. Um, and the reason I've seen it that often is Oddly because specific. <laughs> you just know 17 specifically. Well, because I will show it to people who I'm becoming friends with. And a lot of times that's, it's not like a make or break thing. Um, but I found that the people who hate that movie are no longer my friends. Um, every day. Okay. Interesting. Stay cool. I don't okay. think I had heard of this film. It's, it's a movie. Is it is a movie. It's Mark uh -huh. Duplass who sort of like popularized the mumblecore movement in some ways. Along and with he what's was his just ass. like what what's his ass? Bombach, right? No, Bombach. Oh, no, Bombach. I guess yeah. yeah, that's true. I feel like Bombach became more commercially successful mm. to a much yeah. greater extent and faster. There are two of these Even though movies, right? There are two. Yeah. yeah. Do you like um, the second one? I like the second one. Okay. It's up for debate whether or not like it's as good as the first. I think they're both really sure. good. Um, yeah, Mark Duplass is incredible. The first film is just him and the director, Patrick Bryce. 
It's like an hour and 20 minutes. Would recommend watching it. It's great. Um, but, and if you're listening and you watch this movie and you like it, please tell me. Because that, that validates me. More importantly, one of us got it wrong. Are you coming back to the podcast ever? Um, you know, Jason, you, you showed up for once, so I think I'll be back in another year. We, nice. we got him. We fucking got him. Uh, is there another Finn's Facties we're going to get into? Yes, there's 1.5 questions. 1.5 um, questions. <laughs> the next question is, who is my favorite host? I mean, it's always Cody. Uh, well, are we counting guests? <laughs> That's a great question, Harry. Yes, we are. Whoa. guests is different things. I won. No, no, I, this I is win. the bit, I though. Yeah, this is, I fucking Harry knows the shit. bit. I've committed. I've committed. I'm in. Mm-hmm. All right, Aaron, what do you got? Wait, what was your guess then, Harry? It's Emma. I guessed Emma. Mm. Emma Friend of the show. Uh, joined for our episode I'm, on Watership you know, I, I, you know, you got to love yourself. I think Finn, Finn's favorite host is, is Finn. Ooh. That's there another go. really good answer. That's so nice, I mean, Aaron. I- You're still all wrong. <laughs> uh, I believe when this bit was generated back in whatever it was last year, the answer was, you're all my second favorite host, and if I have to pick one, it's Seth. Um, because he's Damn not a host, it. but he's been on a lot. He's Wonderful. basically a host. Yeah. Also, yeah. he's a co-host yeah. of Puff Puff Movie Pass Puff Puff Movie now, Pass. So Look for a new episode of that host. later this month if we can uh, if we can wrangle it. Hell yeah. Goodness. Uh, well, we'll have to relay that to Seth. He'll have to get a, a voice clip of this to make sure, uh, just fluff his ego a little bit. Um, <laughs> point five questions left? Yeah, this isn't, like, if you don't know this, I would... You, you might. I've mentioned this before. Um, bonus question. I started writing for Perisphere in 2019. When did I start volunteering with the Trilon? Um, I'm going to say, oh, goodness. I only started going in like late 2018, mid 2018. I don't know if I remember seeing you there then, but I wasn't going super often. Um, I'm going to say 20, 21. I was going to say, bro, like. Finn was like 16 years old in 2018. I don't know, volunteering whatever. and labor laws <laughs> in Minnesota? I, I was in know. college. <laughs> it's the same thing. Finn was born uh, in 2009. Right. I'm going to also go with 2021 because I remember seeing your, um, what are you, the sizzle reel or whatever they call those, the volunteer thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it said 2021, and I remember thinking, wow, it seems like they've been around longer than that. So you you became an institution quickly. A institution, you might say. You might. So you started. You 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 first wrote for Perisphere in 2019. Yes. Well, that is not paid. The Perisphere is the Trilon's oh, blog. I'm going to say you first fuck. volunteered in 2019. Wow. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's that's Technically a correct. It's galaxy error sound for me too. <laughs> I think I get a half point for that. Jason, hit that again. <laughs> One more again. <laughs> I could just keep uh, it like no. cycling infinitely. There is a little infinity oh, also, button on that. We sound didn't effect. shout out Finstitution, but um, you guys, the pod people at home listening, can't see this. But I did the Antonio Banderas from Assassins thing, where I like looked away from my computer and like did like the ooh and like put my hand Clutch on my. Your fist. So wonderful. Uh, that was very good. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, Harry and Jason are right. I started volunteering in 2021 as a cashier, box office volunteer. There is a difference. Hmm. Um, so that brings us to Jason has two points. Aaron has two points. And because that was a half question, 
Harry gets away with three Fuck. points, winning the first Fin Facts. Fin's Facts. Uh, thank you very much for playing and letting me talk about myself. Uh, thank, thank you for hosting. Yeah, for now, Finn. Cl- You're clearly, my favorite clearly the definition now. is a bit broader than yeah. I ever imagined. So thank <laughs> so you. So I got that question right, actually. Now, yeah, yeah. I think Aaron is is going back through his mental notes on like I think I got every question right. If you look at it this other fucking way, if, that it if, was not look, stipulated. If, if we just count <laughs> that clear TV show, not actually a movie. If we count that now I'm right for that question. Harry goes down to two points. I go up to three points. This, Look, this is what happens. This is I'm what sorry. happens when we don't have Seth and we don't have Cody. Things just fall the fuck apart. Thank you so much for being another wonderful guest presence, another wonderful host presence, for even finishing our episode on such a wonderful, lighthearted note. Uh, where again can people find you and how should they be interacting with you on the internet right now? Politely, ideally. Um, they can find me on most platforms at Finematic. I am also on Letterboxd at Fin of the Dead. Um, and you can find me every other Sunday at the Trilon Cinema. Um, we will be playing a movie that is dear to my heart in a couple weeks, Cria Cuervos. It's a Spanish film. It is beautiful. Um, it made me cry like a lot. And I cannot write about it because it's very like so personal wow. that I can't talk about it. So if you're in the area, I would really encourage you to go see it. Get there, uh, the Trilon Cinema, South Minneapolis. I'm really excited that we're going to be showing RRR there. Me and a couple of friends have rented out the place for in later in July. Follow us on Twitter. Get in touch with us there to find out more about that. Uh, or, hey, just check it out. Uh, my name is Jason Daphnis. Thank you so much, Finn, again, for being on this episode. Uh, find me on Twitter and Nintendoofus. Find my little podcast here at Trilove Podcast. Find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema. Um, again, I'm Jason Daphnis. Follow me on Twitter and Nintendoofus. Uh, I've been Harry Mackin. Yeah, thank you, Finn. Uh, check out Perisphere as well. We've been talking about it a lot, but it's it's really an institutional part of the institutional part of the Trilon, uh, and so um, it's always really fun to read those blogs. Um, and it will continue to be great because now Finn is editing it. So uh, check that out as well. You can find it online. You can also find it on the Trilon's website. Um, thank you and good night. No, not yet. What? Oh, good night. And he's punished oh, good night before I before I drop my Twitter handle. How dare you, sir? <laughs> I said good night, uh, yep. man. I don't know what you want. It's it's finished. Sleep I, well, Sleep I'm gonna continue. Tight, it is night, but I'm going to continue saying this. So it is just nighttime outside now. Uh, my name is Aaron. You can find me on Twitter at RB Please. If uh, this episode has interested you and you want some recommendations, maybe on on speculative fiction, maybe reach out to me. I might have you know one or two things to recommend, just in case you're interested. So. You know, hit me up. Uh, talk to you later. More like but Peen Wolf. I, I did. I did find my copies of uh, uh-huh. The Wizard Knight and um, Sorry, Soldier sorry, Jason. Sorry, recently. Sorry, and, I, and it did, I it did will have to insist on having the final word on this but they podcast. Are, but they are speculative fiction. Soldier of the, Soldier of the Mist. I listened. I listened. Or excuse me. I read that for like a hundred pages. Riveting. Wonderful, weird, riveting. So, so riveting that you didn't drop it. it. Yeah, drop it. Oh, it immediately. I actually read yeah, here's, 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 what here's what I'll say. Excuse me. To, to defend uh, my favorite author here and unfortunately dunk on Jason, I'm connected with him on Goodreads. That man has been reading 19,000 books for 14 years, and I've never seen him mark one as finished. It's it's uh, <laughs> yes. like he, he has like 12. I went. To, I saw I literally the other day. I was like, I wonder what Jason's reading. I clicked on. It's like currently reading 12. <laughs> Absurd. It is a I lot. mean, it he, he lot. hasn't picked up. I mean, you know what? Let's do that. This is actually another bit we got here. Let's go to Jason's. To do Jason's Jamie's. <laughs> J- yes. <laughs> Let's go to uh, Jason 
Daphnis. Let's see what he's reading. See, here. I'm the only one who has the stop recording button, unfortunately, friends. and I kind of want to see this place out. So if anybody else wants to drop out, just let me know, and we Jason can. Jason Daphnis. There we go. There we go. Uh, what do we got? Currently reading eleven books. Uh, all you need is Kill. He's been reading since February. I believe that's like a hundred page book. <laughs> it's it's like uh, two hundred fifty. <laughs> okay. All right. My my bad. Uh, he's got. Uh, HP Lovecraft, the complete collection. That's probably pretty chunky. So that's that's, that's going. Fine. That's ongoing. I come back that's to that every now and again. Yeah. That's totally fine. Not a problem. Uh, yeah. Uh, some stuff in July. Some stuff from March. Some stuff from January. See, I told Finn that we were going to try and keep this episode shorter because we've all got stuff yeah. to do after this. But no, I, we're having fun. You know, I'm, cool. running, I'm yeah. running with it. I'm rolling with the devil here. We're having fun. Are we? Are we done? <laughs> I can I say the last? You word? You can say the last no, last word. Okay. All right. Well, more like Peen Wolf. 